Would you stand for just a moment as we read the Word of God in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible says in Exodus 3, 14, the Bible says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. You may be seated. Let me share something. Uh, you know, when I read the scriptures, I was just sharing with the Sunday school class this morning that, you know, the reason that I am what I would consider an independent fundamental Baptist is not because some man told me, it's because I read the scriptures. I read a passage like that, and one, I don't have to believe in evolution, I believe in God. And so when he says, I am that I am, he tells me in the beginning God, and that he already exists, and that he's always existed. And whenever he sent a message from, uh, from himself through Moses to the nation of Israel, he didn't say, tell them all these things about me. He just said, tell them I am <laughs> has sent thee. I'm the one that sent you. And, and so there's some power in that. And there are many questions about whether Jesus Christ is really the salvation of the world. And so many religions have been started, and they try to denounce Christ, and, uh, and they do it for man's sake more than anything else. But we're going to look at how important it is that God said, I am that I am, and that I am was who sent Moses into the, into the uh, land of Egypt to bring forth his people from bondage. And why is that so important? Why and how does that fit into the New Testament? Why would that even be important when we come to the New Testament? And so we'll look at this this morning. And you think about salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God that takes us from bondage of our sin nature and gives us an eternal life in Christ Jesus. And you think about Moses. He was sent unto the people of God to set them free from bondage. They were enslaved. And so what happened to God's people after Joseph went off the scene and what happens is, is now uh, the people find themselves as the years have passed and they're in Egypt and Joseph is off the scene now. Now they're in bondage to Pharaoh and him. And, and, and Pharaoh has just enslaved these people and he became their taskmaster. And, and so he, he put these folks in bondage and they needed to be able to break free and God sent the one to them to set them free from their bondage. Now, Pharaoh didn't want to listen to Moses and we know about the plagues and all the things that occurred. But Moses was sent to free them. And Moses went up unto the people of Israel with a simple and a powerful message. Can you imagine this? <laughs> he rolls into town and he says to Pharaoh, I am that I am. I am has sent me here. Now, Pharaoh might be looking at, who's this I am? <laughs> Who is this that sent you? And God just simply said, here's the message and here's the power of the message. Just tell him I sent you. And, and, and can you imagine Pharaoh probably standing there laughing at Moses, like, who's this I am that sent you here, you know, and that kind of stuff. Oh, he was soon to find out, wouldn't he? And, and, and you realize that when people denounce God or deny God, and believe me, the Bible clearly says, the fool has said in their heart, there is no what? God, there is a God in heaven. And, and so we have this situation where he rolls into town to tell these folks this, and we find an Old Testament reference from God that Jesus uses about himself in the New Testament. How many times did Jesus use the phrase, I am? And I am has sent me. And I want you to get a hold of this because we find this in the New Testament as well. And so here comes Jesus. Now just as Moses was sent into the people that were in bondage and he was to bring them out of the land of Egypt and bring them to the promised land, Jesus was sent by God to do what for us? To free us from the bondage of sin and to give us our promised land, which is heaven. 
And so we see this very similar situation with Jesus Christ. Now Moses was going to move the people from bondage to the promised land of God. And, and you know, I talk about a place of flowing with milk and honey. Uh, man, I, I tell you, there's two things that I enjoy, both milk and honey. <laughs> Amen? Now, I don't usually put them together, but both of them I enjoy. I love honey on my grits. Now, everybody laughs at me because they're like, no, 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 you got to have cheese in your grits and all that kind of stuff. Man, I like to pour honey over my grits. It tastes good. And if you've, how many of you even like grits? I know we're in Midwest Ohio. Anybody here eat grits out this way? Man, I love grits. And uh, man, they just are so tasty to me. But I like, oh, I, I like honey on my, on my grits. Now, I like to put a little bit of milk in there too. Now, I just told you I don't like to mix milk and honey, but I like to put a little bit of milk in there because I like to thin them out just a hair because you don't want them so thick. You know, you feel like you're eating a, 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 a dough ball or something, you know what I mean? But uh, you want to get them just to, just to that right texture. But a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, Jesus moves us from our bondage of sin to the promised land of heaven for all eternity. Now, none of us have seen heaven, but boy, we have a good picture of it, don't we? You go read the book of Revelation, and it gives you a wonderful picture of what heaven's going to be like. And you, you go in and you get the idea of this marvelous and, uh, and lovely uh, Father in heaven and this beautiful Jesus Christ who died for our sins. And we're going to go and we hear things about streets of gold and we hear about uh, water and, and seas as crystal. Uh, you hear about all these beautiful things uh, that are in heaven and, and you see all these marvelous things that are uh, set before us and we think about our promised land. Now, I don't know about you, but in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 2, it says, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. You go read, you go read what heaven's supposed to be like. And I promise you, whatever you own or possess on this earth pales in comparison to what heaven's going to be like. No matter what we own or possess on this earth, it pales in comparison to what our Father has gone to prepare for us. And so you, th you see this. So Jesus moves us from our bondage of sin to the promise of heaven for all eternity. So I want to challenge you with this thought this morning as we go into the message. Do you have confidence in the I am of Jesus Christ? Not only for our salvation, but for how we're to live. Are you with me? He saves us, but not just saves us just so we get into heaven. He saves us that we might be a vessel to be used of him. And so when you think about this, not only for salvation and the salvation of all who believe, but all those that will believe. And so we have a promise from the I am. Now, I share this with you because I strongly uh, will uh, talk with people about the fact of God's existence. And, and you know, it's continually tested, isn't it? Uh, no matter what you watch, if you watch stuff on TV, if you watch Animal Planet or you watch anything, I, I, it doesn't matter. Somehow or another, they have to get in the billions and billions and billions of years ago, things happen. How many of you just watch something for just a few minutes and they talk about how billions of years stuff had to happen? Well, you know, when you open up the Bible, we go in with something called this, a presupposition, presupposing that God's word is true. He said, in the beginning, what? God, doesn't he? And then God tells us that he created the heavens and the earth in six literal days. And I believe it's six literal 24-hour days that God created the heavens and the earth. I think he did all of that. And on the seventh day, it said God rested. And there's no debate in my mind about that. Now, we have all the science that you can come up with, but guess who made the science? God did. Amen? You've got all the scientists in the world, and they've got all these brains. Where'd they get the brains from? From God. And here's the thing. They want to attribute that something came from nothing. Now, yesterday, I was up in the parking lot of Tractor Supply. I had to get a thing to clean off my grill. 
And so in the parking lot of Tractor Supply, when I walked out, Brother Jim, <laughs> there was this brand new Chevy Corvette. Now, I like cars. I don't purchase cars. I like to purchase junk and then rebuild them. You know what I mean? And so just ask Jim. He helped me all day yesterday. And, uh, but here's the thing. There's this beautiful Corvette sitting out there. So I pulled my camera out. And I thought, man, i got to get this to Connor. I know Connor likes cars, see. He thinks he's going to own that one day. And I hope he does, amen? And he'll let Dad drive it forever. And, uh, but here's the thing. I got my camera out, so the owner of the car comes over, and he goes, oh, do you want to take a picture? And I was like, yeah, sure do. He goes, yeah, go ahead, take a picture. I mean, Bill, this thing was loaded, man. I mean, I had not seen one like this. I bet you it had to be over a $100,000 car. I don't know what they cost, but I'm sure it cost a lot of money. Now, when I went out there, there's my Mercury sitting there, and there's that Corvette. Now, when I walked out, James, I didn't go, wow, that just appeared. It just showed up. No man had a hand in that. It just appeared. Would you say that, Brother Jimmy? Or would you think somebody had some intelligence and built that thing, right? You'd think a little bit. Somebody must have had some intelligence to build that thing. How can we look at the world around us and not think that there was a hand in it? See, what they want us to believe is that there's somehow that in some way that this all just, and it came about. Now, I've never blown anything up, Brother Jeremy. I've never blown anything up. And I have blown some things up, but I've never blown anything up. And then all of a sudden I come out and there's a new Jeep Liberty sitting there. Doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. I've never blown something up and then something appeared from it. How many of you blew something up and you said, whoa, look at that, a new Mercedes. How many of you have done that? And, and, and when you think about an explosion, what gets made by explosions? Holes in the ground, destruction, Right? Yet, scientists want us to believe that somehow an explosion occurred and the earth made itself, and then we all showed up. And, and you know, you think about that, that is so far-fetched from what God teaches us. Are you with me? And so why do we have to think, well, you know, maybe these scientists are on to something here. They're not. <laughs> and, and the idea is, is that God existed when he sent Moses into Egypt he said, tell them I am sent you. That wasn't hard, was it? Boy, that was a powerful message, though, because when he showed up, that's all he had. And he was coming to get the people. So here's the thing. God's existence is continually trying to be disproved by many in the world and the scientific community, yet we see God in all that exists. And the Lord himself has always existed according to the word of God. You know, man has to try to explain that away. They have to try to explain away why this book is so consistent. They have to explain away why it has so much power. They have to explain away why it has so much influence on people's lives. They have to explain away why I read this and it actually affects my life. And they have to try to explain away that if I'll take and put these things into practice, what effect they actually have on my life in raising my children and how to be a good husband or, or how to be a good father or how to be a good mother or how to be a good wife or, or how, to, how to live my life, how to handle my finances, how to do things. And they have to try to explain it all away. <laughs> and yet God said, I am. 
Not hard, is it? Boy, we want to make it more complex than that, don't we? So I want to share with you about the I am this morning. I think there's two very significant statements made in the scriptures that identify God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as I am that I am, and I am sent me. Let's talk about the existence of God. Uh, it's not to be questioned according to the Word of God. The scriptures clearly teach in the beginning God. So today, many try to refute his very existence, and, and to, to, they try to do it in the name of science. And they, they have to eliminate Scripture to do that, so we want to make science uh, 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 superior to the Word of God. And so they have to try to accomplish that. But let me give you a couple of verses, and you can just write these down. And, and I just want you to kind of have this in your heart. In Psalm 14:1, I mentioned this to you already. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, you know, the person that decides that there is no God, God just called them a what? The person that decides that there is no God, what did God just call him? It's okay, you're allowed to say it. It's in the Bible. What did he call him? A fool. They say there is no God, so God says they are a fool. That's exactly what they are. Now think about this for just a moment. In, in, in addition to that, he said they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Listen, he refers to that fool. Are you with me? He refers back to that fool is they are corrupt. He refers back to the fool that says there is no God. He said they are corrupt. That's the next thing he says. And then he goes on and he says they have done abominable works. In other words, by teaching or promoting that, they're doing something. And by the way, that word abominable, it means it's loathsome in the nostrils of God. It stinks. That's the idea behind it. And God detests the idea that a man would have a thought in his heart or his mind that there is no God. And so he uses that as a tool. And then he, if we were to turn to Romans, and you don't have to, but in Romans 1.20 and following, all you have to do is read that entire chapter. He says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clean, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I want you to know that no matter what a man may think, one day he's going to stand before a holy, righteous God, and he's going to give an account. Now listen, he'll do it in one of two ways. He's going to do it in salvation, or he's going to do it in condemnation. And you will stand before God as a human being in one of two ways. You will stand before him in salvation, or you will stand before him in condemnation. Salvation is that I've trusted his son Jesus Christ to take my soul to heaven when I die, and that is what got me into heaven. My name on a church roll didn't do it. The fact that I was baptized didn't do it. The fact that my daddy was a deacon didn't do it. The fact that my granddaddy was a pastor didn't do it. The fact that I have been a member of a church for 30 or 40 years didn't do it. There is one thing that takes a soul to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is none other name under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so anybody that tells you there is no God, they're a fool. And God said they're corrupt. And they get to the place where this happens. And it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They'll not be able to stand before God. Now listen to me. That passage is not made up. That's a fact. They will be without excuse when they stand before God. <laughs> They cannot say, I didn't know. God said that they will stand before him without excuse. Now, if you go on and read that chapter, you can see things that are happening in Paul's day there in Rome and the things that we see today. 
In fact, it gets down to the very point that they begin to worship the creature more than they do the creator. How many of you have seen that in our society today? And they worship the creature more than they do the creator. Look at you. And so what happens is, is this. What I share with you is, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, listen to this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Are you with me? How many men has it appeared to now? All men. So they're without what? Excuse, because it's appeared to all men. Can you imagine Moses going over there into Egypt? And he said, I am sent me. I am, Jesus called me to show up over here. Now, the nation of Israel got excited about that. Pharaoh wasn't too excited. Who is this God you're talking about? You know, you go in and you read the next few chapters and you see Pharaoh just, just denouncing God and, and tempting God and doing all those things. You see all the plagues start to show up. It, it reminds you of the book of Revelation of what's going to happen in the end times whenever all the people will begin to deny God. So man is without excuse and those that teach contrary to God and the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, the Bible says they're corrupt. This abominable, it's, it's loathsome, it's detestable, it's abhorrent in the nostrils of God. So here the Lord is dealing with Moses and getting ready to send him into Egypt to set the nation of Israel free from bondage. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10 uh, in, in, chapter, uh, uh, in chapter 3 uh, of Exodus. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? <laughs> he was trying to look at himself in light of who God is, right? Well, who am I? How am I going to do this? Do you know, when we're trying to win people to Christ, and I share this with the church all the time, if you're saved, everybody should be a witness for Jesus Christ. When you get saved, he said, ye shall be witnesses. And we ought to share our testimony with others, and we ought to share the gospel with others. Moses knew God. And then Moses gets this, uh, uh, this uh, commandment of God, and, and, and he says, well, who am I? You know, we're nobody in the scope of who God is, are we? <laughs> but God wants to use us. He wants to use every person in here in some fashion, in some way. Now think about this. Moses began to share with the Lord many reasons he was incapable of fulfilling the duty that, uh, that he was called to. Uh, and, and listen, he started to come up with excuses. So I want you to look at a couple of things. Look at verse, or chapter 4 with me. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me. <laughs> hey, listen, when you go knock on doors and you share the gospel with people, guess what they don't do right away? They don't believe you, do they? And, and you're trying to share a truth with them. And, and Moses is already like with the excuses. And we may do this to ourselves. We'll say, well, what's the sense of me going? What's the sense of me sharing this? Well, God has sent us out into the world to go share the gospel with people. Well, what if they don't believe me? They're not going to believe me. That is not my reason for going. My reason for going is to testify of Jesus Christ. Them believing is a choice that they'll make in their life. And God commands us to do this. He goes on, he said, Nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is it that is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. Now, how many of you know what God did with the rod? How many of you know what, what I'm talking about? When God put that rod in his hand, man, that was the, the rod of God. That was not Moses' rod. That was the rod of God. Do you get it? And, and so what it is is that God did some miraculous things with the rod. Now, what power was in that rod? Was there any power in that rod at all? And, and you think about it. He put it in Moses' hand. And of course, he tested Moses on what he could do with that rod, right? And so Moses said, well, what am I? 
What am I? I want to tell you what you are. When you have the rod in your hand, you are a testimony for Jesus Christ. Are you with me? We have it. We have what we need to give to other people. And listen, we are going to them to help get them saved from the bondage of sin that they're in. And so we take the rod with us and we go before him. And this is the word of God. And truly, when we take this to them, we're sharing with them what can set them free from the bondage of sin. Brother Jeremy and I were talking last night. His uh, oldest daughter is in Australia on a missionary trip. And he said he was talking to her and he said, you know, one of the hardest things, one of the most difficult things over there is things are so affluent for those people, they don't need God. He said the hardest thing for them is to understand that they have a need for Jesus Christ. Do you know I think that's where we are, Jeremy, in America today? We just have such a hard time with it. And and, and you think about the very town that we're in. Would you say Minster's a pretty affluent area? And what happens is, is we have so much that we forget what we really need from a spiritual perspective. And so that's why we testify. That's why we go out with the word. That's why we share it with people. And you say, well, they've got everything they need. No, they don't. They need Jesus Christ. And we have to take it to them. Let me share this with you and I'll move on. He goes on and he shares all these excuses. And God uses the following to announce his existence and the power unto Moses for him to communicate this simple message. He said, just go and tell him I am that I am. (laughs) Just tell him I exist. And, and I can't imagine, can you imagine pastor going into town here and I go down to a town council meeting and I say, hey, listen, I am has sent me. I just want you to know, I am that I am just sent me down here to talk to you folks. <laughs> you know, they'd have me in a white jacket before you knew it, the buckles in the back, and uh, they would be carrying me out of there on a, on a stretcher because they'd have, my, you know, they'd have me all tied up because they would not believe that I went down there to share the gospel with them. And yet, what it is, is the same is true of Moses here. He goes in and Pharaoh starts to make fun of the whole thing. God shared his very essence and his existence to Moses, and therefore he, removed, he ended up removing those excuses for him, for the nation of Israel, and also taking away any excuse that Pharaoh would have. Now I want to run to the New Testament, because the second part of this verse is very interesting. He said, tell him I am that I am, and then he said to Moses, I am sent me. I want to tell you, you need to read your New Testament. You need to read the New Testament. It's the most wonderful book you will ever read. The books that are in the New Testament are so wonderful. And they tell us so much about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just going to give you a little foretaste of what I went through as I was putting this together. You know, God stated, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me. Just as the I am sent Moses unto the people, Jesus teaches the nation of Israel, the great I am is he, the Lord, had sent me to the people He said, I am, in the New Testament, multiple times. But I want you to know this before I begin. In John 10, 30, he said, I and my Father are one. Jesus is God, by the way, folks. Any religion that teaches you that they are separated, that's a false teaching. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but he is God. In all his essence, in all his being, he is God. He was the God-man. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in his glory in heaven with the Father. He came down to you and me to testify to us that we might testify on his behalf of what he has sent to us, and the I am came down to us. Now I share this with you. In John 5.43, and I want you to hold on because there's some verses here I want you to get a hold of, and you can start writing these down. In John 5.43, he said, I am 
Come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. In John 7, 28 and 29, then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but that he sent me that is true, whom ye know not, but I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. And then he says in John 8, 58, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, he uses this phrase, I am. <laughs> I want you to know, Jesus is the I am. When he told Moses, tell him I am sent you, it was just the same as saying, hey, Jesus is sending you over there. There's no difference between the two. Amen. And Jesus said, I am. Now, what did Jesus say about himself? And this is where I get great confidence about my faith in Jesus Christ. I have great confidence in who he is, not in anything I have an ability to do and not in anything that I have capability of doing. I believe in the great I am. And what it is is that everything that I am, I am because of the I am. He is what we need to be. The very essence of Jesus Christ, if you are saved, is in us. The Holy Spirit resides in us. And we have God's power upon us. And we have the ability to share the truth from this book called the Word of God. And these are the things that Jesus said about himself. In John 6, 48, he said, I am that bread of life. <laughs> I am that bread of life. Now, I want you to know those people clearly understood what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. When he told them, I am the bread of life, this indicates that he is life physical and spiritual. He is eternal life. Now, listen, it made the Pharisees angry. They got upset at him. It upset the scribes and the Pharisees. It upset all those in that time because he was telling them, I am life eternal. When he said, I am the bread of life, listen, bread meant a lot of things to those people back then. And part of that is, is I needed to live. And when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he was telling him, I am. I'm it. That was hard for them to swallow. <laughs> no pun intended. John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. Jesus draws the analogy between the sun as the physical light of the world and himself as the spiritual light of the world. Listen, Jesus is the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And listen, when we get to heaven, guess what we don't need? We don't need the sun anymore. You know why? Because the brightness of his glory will overshadow all things. The sun is unnecessary in heaven because the glory of God will shine upon us. And so whenever he says, I am the light of the world, believe me, the sun will one day perish, but Jesus lives for eternity in heaven. And he is that bright light. He let those people know, and I want you to understand, it upset the Pharisees. It upsets religious people today when you tell them who Jesus Christ really is. Because some just want to believe that he was a good teacher. And some just want to believe that he was just some good prophet. But we know, according to the scriptures, he said, I am the light of the world. <laughs> That's who he is. He then says this. He says in John 10, 9, I am the door. <laughs> I love that. And so, you know, you look at a door and you say, well, it's an entrance or an exit. He says this, though. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. How are you going to get saved? you got to enter in through the door that Jesus is. Amen? He said, I am the door. Hey, when he said, I am the door, there's no other way to get in. <laughs> You're not getting in unless you come through him. They knew exactly what he meant. And so do people today. 
And if you told him that he is the door, he is the only way to enter into heaven. Now, I want to tell you, I was out when we lived in Colonial Beach, and I was knocking on doors and sharing the gospel with people, and uh, I had gone over, and uh, one of the ladies that was teaching Sunday school in the class, we were just going to visit, and uh, I got over there, and we were talking to her, and I thought, man, this is a good conversation, and uh, I won't mention her name, and we got partly into the conversation. I'd given her her new Sunday school lessons and was talking to her for a few minutes, and she said this. She said this to me, Brother Bill. Well, Pastor, you know there's many ways to get into heaven. She was a Sunday school teacher. Now, I didn't want to be crude or rude, Mike, but I just said, hey, listen. I said, do you believe that? And then I witnessed to her. And she said, well, you, you misunderstand. There's many ways to get into heaven. And I thought, that is the Sunday school teacher. And by the way, one of my kids was in her Sunday school class. And Brother Darrell, I sure didn't want them believing that. You know what I mean? It was the hardest thing to do, Brother Jeremy. I reached out and I said, ma'am, I said, I need that Sunday school lesson back. I said, we need to talk before you go back into that classroom. That was hard to do, Miss Carol. I mean, and it was tough. And I didn't want to be unkind to her. I just wanted to help her. But she surely believed that. I don't want you sitting in Calvary Chapel Baptist Church believing that there's multiple ways to get to heaven because there is not. There is one way to get to heaven. He is the door. Amen? Amen. Your entrance into heaven comes through Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way to get there. Amen. Jesus said, I am Amen. the door. <laughs> he goes on and he says this in John 10, 14, and I love this. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by, uh, of mine. Jesus is worthy of being the great pastor. Amen? There's a lot of pastors in local churches, but Jesus, Jesus said, I am. <laughs> I am the good shepherd. Listen, as a pastor, all I have is I'm under the authority of Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's above all this. Do you understand? And I report to him. <laughs> and so the idea is, is I have a great responsibility to handle this thing properly because he is the good shepherd. Amen? Amen. No one will ever shepherd us the way that Jesus Christ shepherds us. Amen? So as we look at this, he said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. You know what else he said? And boy, I can't imagine this. Didn't really ruffle their feathers. He said, I am the resurrection of life. <laughs> I'm sure when he told them that, I, I, just, I would want to be a fly on the wall to watch how he really ruffled some feathers at that moment in time. And he tells us this in, in, in John again. And he said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Can you imagine that? Here's a man standing before these religious leaders, and he said, I just want you to know I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me. Listen, he is the I am. The only way to be free from the bondage of sin is to enter in through the door, which is Jesus Christ, and is the resurrection and the life. And anybody is what he says here. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You go on to read that. He's talking about living eternally. And so, listen, let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, amen? 
It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, go read Romans chapter 1. Look at what Paul was facing and look what he was telling these people at that time. Listen, he was in a place where they were worshiping the creature more than the creator. They were living an abominable life. Uh, the wrath of God was to come upon these people. They not only took pleasure in what they were doing, they tried to get other people involved in the sin that they were involved in. Paul, I can't imagine when he's looking out there knowing the truth of the word of God and seeing what was happening in his world around him. Look, we ought to have a heavy heart for it. We ought to look at the world around us and say, oh my God, help us. Because when we live in a nation where we say it's okay to birth a child and to take its life, that's called murder. That's a problem for me. And when I look to the scriptures and I see those things and I think about my Savior coming and dying for those souls, amen? Do you know the person that does that? He loves them just as much as he loves me. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? But the fact is, for God so loved the world that he gave, didn't he? He loved the world. It doesn't mean the world loves him back, folks. But we're living in a rough world today. And there's a lot of sin around us. How do we overcome that? We can only do it by the great I am and the power of God. What else did Jesus tell us? Well, Jesus wanted them to know that even if you die physically, you can live spiritually eternally, but it came through him. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man no man cometh unto the father but by me that's pretty powerful isn't it he said i am what is he <laughs> he is all those things you, you you look at this and he says i i am the way i am the truth and i am the life now jesus wants you to know that the world lies and, and there is not many, but only one way to heaven. He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven where among my, given among men more by they must be saved. The only way a man can get saved is through Jesus Christ. There's not many ways. Listen, you know, as a believer, you and I should never, never be ashamed of the gospel. Never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Never be afraid to get into a conversation with someone about who he is. You never know if you are the vessel that day that God wants to use to impact someone else's life. And you say, well, I just don't feel it. I don't think it's in a feeling area. I think it's a fact. I think it's a fact that God wants to use everybody that's saved to witness to others about Jesus Christ. I was sharing this. I said, you know, how many of us, and I don't know if you know this, these are the ingrates over here, Brother Jack. He's a Steelers fan. Guy, you can say. Jack and I were talking. And I said, hey, Jack. I said, would you ever be ashamed to tell somebody that you were a Steelers fan? He said, never. I said, why, Jack? Oh, man, best, best football team ever played football. Wouldn't you agree, Brother Jack? Yeah, six Super Bowls. Isn't that wonderful? Lord help us. Yeah. <laughs> But Jack and I never have a problem talking about the Steelers or even promoting them, right? We didn't even tell them, hey, man, we watched them whoop up on the Browns, right? I know, Charlie. They have. Here's the thing. We'd never get down in the mouth, would we? We'd be bold about it, wouldn't we? We'd stand our ground, wouldn't we? Hey, you know what I love, Brother Bill, is to watch Navy guys get with Army guys and Marines get around those guys and the Air Force and Brother Darrell, the one is always better than the other. I promise you that. Just ask them. And they're not ashamed of it. They stand proudly for what they stood for. Am I right? You talk to the Army, there's nothing better than the Army. 
you talk to the Marines, and the Marines say, we're, you know, an elite uh, force, you know, and, they, and the Navy guys go, yeah, you came from us. Am I right? <laughs> and the thing of it is, is that you'd never be ashamed of those things about what you represented at some point in your life, would you? Or the things that you really have strong uh, 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 emotions about, thoughts about, right? Now think about this. He saved our soul for eternity. <laughs> he saved our soul for eternity. Why would I be ashamed of him? Why would I be afraid to tell someone about them? And listen, I shared with you, I went to my niece's wedding, and I'm sitting at the table. This woman's from Vietnam. I didn't really want to go to the wedding. I was a little nervous about it because I know the festivities that go on at those things at the receptions, right? And so I wanted to get out of there before those all, all those festivities started. But God took me there, and my wife and I got seated at a table. This woman is from Vietnam, and she wants to know about Jesus Christ. Amen. Mike, I didn't stop and go, I, I don't have time for that right now. I'm only here for the, for the wedding. <laughs> to a guy like me, it's like saying sick him to a bulldog. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like I'm ready to tell her everything. And the thing of it is, is we ought to have that in our hearts. How many doors does God open for us every day, Brother Chris? Maybe to speak to someone about Jesus Christ. And sometimes we just pass it by, Jimmy. You pray for Brother Jimmy. They're new homeowners, by the way. How many of you know that? <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? Not only the homeowners, hey, we got newlyweds in here today, okay? James and June, hey, Ben? Hey, let's give them all a hand. Let's go ahead and give them a hand. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ, he said this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but me. I got one more for you. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Now, wait a minute, Chris. The husbandman's the farmer. He's the one that's plowing the land. <laughs> right? So I'm reading the scriptures, and I, wait a minute. Jesus said, I am the true vine. He's the one that God planted. Are you with me? He's the true vine. And my father's the husbandman. He's the farmer that planted Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Seed's been planted. God brought him here. He said, I am. I am the true vine. Now, Jesus has given to the people of, uh, of Israel, to the world, and to us today, the knowledge that he's the one true God and the Savior of the body. Jesus stated that he is the genuine vine, or the life of the branches, and the father is the farmer, or the one who works the land and planted him here. And I thought about how Jesus said in John 8, 23, I said, therefore, unto you, ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am. If you believe not that I am. He. Ye shall die in your sins. He said in John 73. And this is the life eternal. That they may know thee. The only true God. And Jesus Christ. Whom thou hast sent. God sent Moses. To free the nation of Israel. From bondage. God sent Jesus Christ into the world and planted him here for you and me to save us from the bondage of sin. And we have freedom in Christ Jesus. I pray today.